From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 123 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy, produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. Now, many of you may not realize that for the last seven years, I have been ministering in a parish community where we as a parish community are home for the deaf community in our Catholic diocese. And when people think of a bilingual liturgy, they often think of two spoken languages, whatever that may be. But I serve in a church that is bilingual, English and sign language. And the last seven years have taught me so much about ministering to the deaf community because truthfully, they minister to me a lot more than I feel like I minister to them. I have learned over the last seven years that those who are deaf do not consider deafness to be a disability. In fact, they just see it as a different way of life. And so today I am playing a replay of an episode back from March where I interviewed Father Walt Ridzin. Father Walt was the pastor of the deaf community in my diocese for most of his priesthood. He's currently retired and lives in Florida, but still reflects on his time ministering to our deaf community and the deaf community at large in the city of Pittsburgh. His reflections regarding ministry and music to the deaf community are exceptional. And so for this reason, I am replaying this episode on the last week of September during Deaf Awareness Month. Father Walt, you you were a retired priest from the Diocese of Pittsburgh. And how long were you a priest in the Diocese of Pittsburgh before you retired? I was ordained in uh, 1973, um, retired in um, 16, so 43 years, and um, have been down here in Florida for, for three years. Okay, great. And how long in your ministry as a priest were you involved with the deaf community? And how did that start? I started with the deaf community in um, 1994 when I was assigned to St. Justin on Mount Washington. And so until I retired, so it was 23 years, almost um, the majority at St. Justin then after the merger with St. Mary's and our move over to the Mount, um, four years there before passing the uh, the reins of the ministry over to Father Michael. How it started, um, I, I was named pastor at, a, at St. Anthony's in Monongahela in 1990, and uh, we had a young uh, young married couple who had two young boys, uh, and both of the both the kids were deaf. Um, when I got there, they were around four and six, and this family came to church every week faithfully. 
And of course, greeting people outside, uh, I'd say hello to mom and dad, but the, the two, the two kids, I mean, like all kids, they were bored out of their minds at mass. And if, and if you're a deaf kid, then, then the boredom is, is 10 times worse. And it just killed me that I could not, um, converse or talk to these kids. After weeks, I finally thought, I, I, I'm going to take a sign course and um, show you how God works. Um, as I was searching around community colleges um, for, for sign classes, we got a memo from the diocese that they were offering a sign language class. So uh, I signed up for it. It was offered by, um, it was run by Karen McGann, who was in charge of deaf ministry, Al Sokola, who was the priest who was pastor to the deaf and a, and a deaf couple. So I signed up. And um, so I did my first three, first three classes and I practiced, I practiced. And these kids come walking out of church one day with their mom and dad. And I said hello to mom and dad. And then I looked down at these two who were staring up at me and, um, and I signed to them without voicing. I said, hi guys, how was school this week? What did you learn? Amanda, if you would have saw their faces, it, it was Christmas, Christmas in July. And so every week they were still bored out of their mind at mass. I'm getting you wrong, but they were excited. They were excited to like, well, what's my priest going to sign to me this week? Um, and so that continued. And then Al Socolo had to retire because of health. And Al, Al goes gives me a call one day and says, Maltem, uh, I'm retiring for health. Would you be interested in taking over the deaf community? And I thought, and I said, um, Al, thanks, but no thanks. Um, I got my own church. I have a chance to see all my own programs through that I always wanted to do as a priest. So thanks, but no thanks. Well, Catholic guilt is a tough thing for my generation. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I I I check the Pittsburgh Catholic every week, and you know nobody's taking the job. Nobody's taking the job. So around Thanksgiving time, I started praying over it. Um, the day after Christmas, when when the officers went back to work, I called up the diocese and. I talked to the head of personnel and I said, um, he was a young, young priest named Dave Zubuk. And I said, Hey, David, I said, Walt in here. I said, um, this is like the RCIA. Uh, this is the right of inquiry, not the right of acceptance, but I'm interested in the deaf job. And I had it the next day. Wow. Do you have any highlights that you can think of right away in your time with, in, you know, ministering to the deaf? I'm sure that you have an abundance, but are there any that come to mind right away? Oh yeah, there's there's my five star number one uh, story that I tell everywhere. My sign my signing skills were were mom and pop variety after the diocesan class. Um, so uh, when I took over the uh, job as pastor of the deaf community, I knew I had to I had to hone those, and so I signed up for the interpreter training program at um, community college in the North Hills. So for the first three weeks, I was commuting from Monongahela to North Hills and back. And then when I moved to St. Justin, I continued my classes three days a week. So I, I get to St. Justin, certain dates you remember, huh? I get to St. Justin February 7th. And February February 22nd, 23rd, I have, I have a deaf wedding. Young couple. Um, East Hills, and um, so I, uh, I I met them. Um, we're getting by pretty well as far as my signing skills. The rehearsal went very well. 
I mean, it went very well. So I, I went cruising into the wedding thinking, oh, this is going to be good. Good wedding, nice wedding, ha- beautiful wedding, happy wedding. To sign a piece, the, um, the best man who ended up being the groom's sister, the groom and bride were deaf, um, but his sister was hearing. So to sign a piece, I walked on and I said, um, hey, Jen, um, I said, do you mind... Um, you mind, you know, peace be with you. And I said, you mind telling me why everybody's been laughing for the last 40 minutes? And she said, well, Father, it can't be because every time you were saying wedding, you were signing hamburger. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my first, that's my welcome to deaf, deaf culture. Oh, welcome to this, welcome to this holy hamburger. This holy hamburger was just the finest day for these two. And it just went on and on and on. <laughs> so for those, for those who don't even know sign language, we now know that hamburger and uh, marriage. And marriage. Very close. Almost, sim- almost similar signs. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, the similarity and location of, of signs in American Sign Language is important. Trust me, there's a fine, fine line between the sign for embarrassment and the sign for prostitute, as I find out many times. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, hopefully we won't have to discover that in our own churches between... Thank um, you, thank you. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about deaf culture. And by the way, I do want to mention to you and to the listeners, too, that I understand the irony of having this conversation over a podcast for hearing people. And so for this reason, I am having the entire podcast transcribed so that we can really make sure that we are honoring those who want to follow along who are deaf. But I want to talk a little bit now about deaf culture because most people or many ministers may not have a deaf ministry in their church. And so what are some things that those who are just learning about deaf ministry should know? I think the biggest thing is that deafness is, is a culture and, and not a disability. The mantra, the mantra from, from the deaf have always been, I can do anything you can do except here. And um, I found that to be true. The um, deaf culture is, um, is, is its own community, its own culture, um, its circle, who um, just like people get together for Polish customs, Italian customs at Christmas, you know, the seven fish being a, uh, an Italian custom, deaf, deaf culture is that. Um, let me tell you the, um, an example of, of how I found that out. Um, young couple, deaf couple, who's another whose wedding I had, um, a year or two later, um, she's pregnant. She gives birth. So I stopped out to McGee to see them, and they're both in the room. And um, uh, I'm, I'm a year, I'm a year and a half into into my ministry. So I, I signed to them a typical question that any hearing person, any hell, any any parent, any friend would want to know: Do you know yet? And do you know that means do you know if the baby's hearing or deaf? And again, they signed back to me, we don't, but we're praying. And I signed back to them, oh, me too. So I continued my visit, gave a final blessing. And when I'm driving back to the Mount, 
it suddenly dawned on me. We were praying for two different things. As a hearing person, I'm praying that this kid's hearing, but as deaf parents, deaf cultural parents, they're praying that their child is deaf because they want their child as part of their culture. They, they do not want a child who has to grow up in a, in a hearing culture and then be torn between the two. That was my first real, real vibe about a, uh, a, a, deaf, a deaf community. And how I, saw it lived, how I saw it lived out over the course of my years was um, deaf parents who had deaf kids, healthy, well-adjusted, just good family-centric uh, values core, hearing parents who have a deaf child among hearing kids and who never learned to sign, there's, um, there's a distance that will always be there which led me to, to, to wonder how, how could you have a deaf child and, and not learn to sign, but people do that. It's fascinating to me too, because I know also that there are such subtleties within the deaf community as well. Now I, I've learned this, but there's also, and I hope I'm you know not crossing any lines by saying this, but there's also a little bit of tension between maybe those who get cochlear implants and those who do not get cochlear implants and choose and choose that way of life to to not have any hearing assistance. Amanda, it's the it's the blue and gray, and it's the north and south of of deaf culture. Um, mm. Take a look at, at two two great two great schools for deaf children in Pittsburgh. You have Western Pennsylvania School for the Deaf that has been around forever, just doing wonderful, wonderful work. I was I was chaplain to West Western Penn, Western Pennsylvania School for the Deaf. Went out for masses and confessions, Ash Wednesday and, and stuff like that. And sign language is the norm. Voicing is is not not a part of of WPSD. And um, and just, just, just to be clear for those who are listening too, because they may not know what voicing means. Can you just clarify what voicing means? Oh, I'm not allowed to use my I'm not allowed to use my voice. Um, right. Okay. I, uh, when I talk to someone at uh, at WPSD, teacher and or student, I sign. Well, let's say I go out to WPSD for the 10 o'clock mass on the Feast of All Saints. And when I left WPSD, I went to another great, great school for teaching deaf kids in Pittsburgh. And that was DePaul Institute. And DePaul is an oral school. They try and teach kids to speak by using cued speech and the use of cochlear implants, those devices that are implanted in the uh, side of the head to increase vibrations. Well, sign language is, is not used at DePaul. In fact, um, it's uh, almost forbidden. And um, so culturally, I would go to two great schools in which the cultural differences were very present. And if I was having a bad day or if it was a busy day, Ash Wednesday being one of them. If I, uh, you know, I was up at crack of dawn giving ashes, and then ran out to two schools. Sometimes I'd come back from WPSD and get to DePaul, and I'd start signing, and teachers would be, you know, grasping, <laughs> you know, grasping their face and say, "No, no, no." So, mm -hmm. two good schools, two various forms of communication, diametrically opposed to each other, and it creates a. a um, it creates a division within deaf culture because the use of a cochlear implant in deaf culture is looked upon as taking away, destroying the culture 
that in a generation or two of cochlear implants might might do. Very, very touchy subject. Yeah, 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 yeah. It bears mentioning, though, that I've learned through the through working with deaf communities that in general, there is still a small foundational level of hearing for most deaf. There's some, they can still sense or hear or feel vibrations, though. That's true, correct? Like to, to a, a, at least some level. Yes, the... Um... Uh, just like the uh, you know America is this great melting pot of um, of cultures and within the deaf community, as far as their um, hearing loss, um, some some lose their hearing later in life. Measles measles in the 30s and 40s was a great contributor to deafness, um, and so some have some emphasis on words some limited voicing skills, some. Um, some can pick up um, sounds, and there there are those among the deaf community who have that ultimate gift of being able to read lips, and that is truly a rare, rare art. And, and if you don't think so, just think about looking into a mirror and saying, Matt, Bat, and Pat, and your lips all look the same, even though a, diff, a different uh, word is coming out, a different sound is coming out. So, the, you know, lip reading is not the easy thing that, that hearing people think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. But I also remember, too, that I have come across people in a deaf community that come over and put their hands on the organ console as I'm playing because they say that they can feel or sense some of the deep foundational vibrations whenever I'm playing some of the deeper stops on the organ. If you've if you've gone to a deaf if you've gone to a deaf wedding, what you just said is is found because the bass volume of of the band or the DJ at a wedding uh, because yes, they do have music and they do have dancing. The bass level though is turned up to the uh, to quite high levels to let that that bass vibration come out across the uh, come out across the floor and wow. uh, and by the way some some pretty good dancers among the deaf community <laughs> that's wonderful so there's one more question I want to ask you and I, I did mention to you and the listeners know that this is going to be a two-part series so next week we're going to be speaking to someone about specifics for music and deaf ministry between deaf and hearing cultures but I do want to ask you from a ministerial side in general, are there any things that all ministers, not just music ministers, could know and reflect upon for their own church ministry, even if they don't have an established deaf ministry in their parish? There are folks who are deaf in, in every parish, and to have at least a, a, a basic knowledge of some signs never hurts anyone. Because when you do meet somebody from the community and you're able to begin at least a, a minor conversation, it goes a long way to crossing generations. It goes a long way to crossing cultures. And it just makes the world and the parish a better place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been wonderful. I will leave some more resources that you and I will talk about in the show notes of the episode for this podcast. And I hope that if you're listening, that this inspired you to 
just get a better sense of deaf culture because I'm sure that even when a church doesn't have um, a specific deaf ministry, I know that I've been to diocesan events where there is an interpreter and it's just a great skill to have that I don't think we necessarily talk enough about in ministry. So thank you so much, Father Walt, for talking with us today and giving us some insight from, of course, your perspective working with the deaf as a priest, which is just so profound. So thank you for your time today, and thanks so much for being on the call. Hey, Amanda, thanks for your music ministry. Thanks for your ministry to, uh, to the podcast and also... Uh, an awareness of both a hearing and a deaf culture. God bless you with health. Thank you again to Father Walt for his time and for his many years in ministry. Now, this episode, when it aired in March, was actually part of a two-part episode. This was part one. Part two of the episode featured Karen Shepherd, Director of Deaf Ministries at St. Mary of the Mount Catholic Church in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Karen also is the director of St. Mary of the Mount's Deaf Choir and oversaw and spearheaded the implementation system of a loop to be installed at St. Mary of the Mount. If you've never heard of what a hearing loop is or you want to learn more about deaf ministry, please check out the show notes of this episode, which can be found at ministrymonday.org. We will provide all links and resources there. The recording of With a Shepherd's Care was produced by GIA Publications. Our theme music today was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday.